All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we're going to open to the book of Luke for today. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful day that we have that you gave us to worship you, that you've given us the opportunity to be your children, and all this is a free gift that we have to accept. And we just thank you for all that. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word in your son's name. Amen. All right, Luke, chapter 23, starting at verse 44. I'm going to read a large section and then come back and talk a little bit on the importance of today. Verse 44, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I command my spirit. And having said this, he gave up his spirit. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together in, to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, counselor, and he was a good man and just. The same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. He was the, of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged for the body of Jesus. And he took him down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in the sepulcher that was hewn for in the stone, wherein never a man had laid before. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and behold the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came unto the sepulchre, bringing spices which they had prepared, and, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, thereabout, behold, two men stood before them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he made... And, Spoken to you while he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified. And on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran also into the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. There's three major key issues in, that make Christians Christians. One is that we believe that the Bible is the absolute truth of God and the Word of God. Now that one will be you know, put down a little bit to me. If you don't believe the Bible, it's very hard to be a Christian because what are you believing in? And so... But the next one is that Jesus is the Son of God and is God. If you deny that, again, I don't know how you can be a Christian because he is following him and worshiping him that defines us as being a Christian in our relationship. The third key that is very important is that he died for our sins and rose again from the dead, which is what we celebrate today, and that's what we're going to talk about. We've talked about the other ones in the past, and we're not going to talk about them today very much. Uh, but they are important. And these are the three things that I tell you. There's not much that I will argue to the death on about Christianity because there's a lot of controversial things out there. 
A lot of things that I believe very strongly and I will teach. But if you don't want to believe those, it's another story altogether. It's between you and God. But when it comes to the absolute authority of the Bible, that Jesus is God, and that he died and rose from the dead, those are critical. If you don't believe those, you cannot be a Christian. I'm going to put it very bluntly. You cannot be a Christian and not believe those three things. You can be something else. <laughs> you, you can be a half follower or something. I don't know. But you can't be a Christian if you don't believe at least those three things about him. Because if those aren't true, what are we believing in? And the resurrection of Jesus is the victory that we have. And we're going to look at this. We started reading this, and Jesus died on a cross. The funny thing is, he kept telling the disciples that he was going to die. And they kept not listening. When Jesus was arrested and put on the cross, it shook them up because they had not been paying attention to, to what he had been telling them. The sad thing is we as Christians do the same thing all the time. Whenever we hear something that we don't really want to hear from the Bible, we kind of tune out and go, well, I don't know if I want to believe that. Well, we can tune out all we want, but God's going to hold us accountable for what we're supposed to know. We need to be paying attention to his word, and we need to grow. And it starts out, and I've shared this before, we start out as children spiritually. The problem is, if you say you've been a Christian for 30 or 40 years and you're still a child in God, you've got some problems. Just like anybody here, if you had a child and it was still, you know, 10 pounds and it's 30 years old and can't walk and, walk and feed itself, you'd have a big problem, wouldn't you? We have many people who claim to be Christians who are that little infant that needs to be fed. And Peter and, and Paul both had said the same thing. At this time when you should be eating meat... You're still wanting milk. And the sad thing is, in our day, most Christians don't even want milk. They want it watered down to nothing before they're going to listen. We need to understand the truth of God. There's a standard that he gives us, and it's going to cost us what we want to do because we're his servants. Jesus died on this cross, and it says, around the sixth hour of the day, Approximately noon, he was on the cross, and the sun went dark and stayed dark for three hours. And that's when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father had to turn his back on Jesus because Jesus had become sin. Jesus had become sin for us. The one who had never sinned, never been separated from the Father, became sin. And the Father and Holy Spirit had to turn their back on Jesus. We've talked about this. Can you think about how much pain that cost the Father? This is a group of people that had never been separated because they are one, all of a sudden separated because of sin. And this was not a surprise to God, and we've talked about that many times. God created man knowing that man was going to sin. And I've said to you, I don't understand why he created man knowing that man was going to sin, but he did. He created man knowing that man was going to sin and that Jesus was going to have to die to pay for that sin. And still he created man. Knowing that there was no other way that we could earn heaven because we cannot earn heaven. We've, we've covered the verse a couple weeks ago. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. 
Every single person who's ever walked on this world except Jesus has sinned. Now, if you meet anybody who tries to tell you that they haven't sinned, you know that they're lying. Especially if you watch their life at any, for any length of time. Sometimes we run across Christians who try to tell you, well, I don't sin. I'm going, you're lying. <laughs> I go, I don't care how good you are. If you follow sin at God's way of looking at sin, you've sinned. Then the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Wages. If you earn something, you get it, supposedly. <laughs> if you're working for the companies you're supposed to work for, when you, earn, when you earn your wages, you get them. God is a good owner of a company, basically. When we earn wages for death, he's going to give them to us. But the second half of that verse is the important one. But the gift of God is eternal life. God has a gift for us. This is the whole purpose that Jesus died on the cross. So that the sins would be paid. In our day, we hear all about, you know, God is love. <laughs> God is love. That means he won't send anybody to hell. Well, he doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose to go to hell by rejecting him. But because he is also righteous and holy and just, he will give us what we deserve if we don't take his gift. Jesus died for our sin so that the righteous Holy Father could say, here's your gift of eternal life. As with any gift, though, when does the gift become yours? If you're having a birthday party and somebody says, here's your birthday gift and holds it out to you, is it yours yet? You have to do something very, very active to get it. You have to reach out and take it or pick it up. You know, they put it on a table. Sometimes you have to take that gift and say it's yours. You could look at it on the table and say, I don't want your gift. And maybe there's somebody's gifts you don't want. But, <laughs> but you, know, you know, until you take that gift, it's really not yours. It could be sitting on, in front of you. It could be sitting in your house. <laughs> Wrapped up. Million dollars in the box. And, and you just look at it and say, I don't want that box. You know, I don't want that gift. God's got the greatest gift that he's holding out to us. And it's ours. Jesus died on that cross to pay for our sins. There are many people out there, and especially this time of year, if you've watched any of the little Jesus things and resurrection things on TV, or if you've ever read any of them, you're going to have all kinds of people saying, well, Jesus didn't really die. He just fainted. He went into a coma. Now, you're going to hear that. Well, you've got to think about that. You know, okay, so he fainted or died. These guys that were used to killing people, these executioners that killed people, several people every day, somehow didn't recognize that he was dead. Okay, that's your first hurdle to get through. The Romans had a very sophisticated system. It wasn't just the soldiers that were ex executing him that would examine him. They would have what we would call coroners that would go in and check them out. And, you know, we think of their, their science and their doctors as pretty primitive, and it was by our standards, but they were not incompetent. These guys were not going to have a, even a faint heartbeat or faint breath past them and say, oh, well, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's you know, just in a deep sleep because they would, you know, they would do things like you know, put, a, put a glass under your nose and see if you're even breathing and, and see the condensation. And even if you're in a deep coma, you are going to breathe. <laughs> they, so, and then if it managed to pass both of those people, they carried him and threw him into a cold tomb put a very big rock in front of it that some people say is 800 to 1,000 pounds. And somehow in the three days, he woke up from his coma, walked on feet that had 
nails driven through them, which I don't know if you would picture that even, trying to walk on feet that had nails having been driven through them after only three days, having been beat to a pulp, having been scourged to an inch of his life with, and flesh and stripes all over his back. But somehow after in that three-day period, he got up, walked across the tomb, rolled the rock out of the way, defeated the Roman guard in front of him, and miraculously let everybody know that he rose from the dead. But there are people that believe that. You know, and they accuse Christians of having a great faith. I don't have enough faith to believe that story. There's others that will tell you, and this is really weird, that because God would not let Jesus die, somehow in the middle of that walk after he's carrying his cross, somehow he slipped into the crowd and had somebody switch his place and get hung on the cross and die in his place. And three days later just showed up and said, hey, I rose from the dead. Like somehow somebody in the crowd didn't, couldn't be mistaken if somebody hadn't been beat and scourged. Uh, there is a religion that teaches that uh, Judas Iscariot, because of the criminal act of his is, God turned him to look like Jesus and he died instead of Jesus. Okay. And you start thinking about the excuses people will give you to say Jesus didn't die. And then you look at a, what we believe that God raised him from the dead. Okay, what's easier to believe? <laughs> what is easier to believe? What, how much faith do you have? I will believe that he died <laughs> and that God rose him from the dead. The spear in his side is proof that he died because out came water and blood. His, his fluid had already started to decompose when it came out. And you know the funny thing about that? It wasn't Luke, the physician, who told us that testimony. It was John that gave us that testimony that they drove the spear up his side and now came water and blood. Luke would have seen that and said, oh, that's proof that he was dead. He was a doctor. He would have understood it. So we look at this and say, did Jesus die? That's our first thing we have to understand. Yes, he died. Beyond question, he died. And the spear in his side, the witness of the individuals. And then we look at the sadness of that day. You know, we don't really comprehend the full sadness of this day. The disciples have been following Jesus. They're following the Messiah. What did the Jews believe about the Messiah? He was going to set up the Jewish kingdom right then and there. The, the disciples are expecting Israel to become the center government of the world. And all of a sudden, Jesus is dead. He's told them a lot, many times that he was going to happen, but he's dead. We look at this. This verse we just read said they watched from afar. <laughs> they weren't even all that close. They were close enough. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John were somewhat close. The rest of them were afar, watching what was going on. Now, these are a picture of really brave people, aren't they? <laughs> you know, these are really brave people. They're, they're as close to the cross as possible. No, it tells us they were afar. Peter, watching the trial. You, know, you think about this. Have you ever thought about when Peter denied Jesus? Who he denied Jesus to. In Gethsemane, he was so bold, he cut the servant's ear off. He's ready to fight the soldiers. And Jesus says, put your sword away. This is, this is ordained. He's in the courtyard, and a servant asks him, aren't you one of his followers? And he goes, no. Another servant asks him, 
Aren't you one of his servants? And he goes, no, and he starts cursing. The last description says a little girl asks him. You know, if you're going to say yes to anybody, it would be the little girl. You know, especially when you're a big fisherman, you're used to dragging nets and everything. And he starts cursing and, and, and says no. And the cock crows. We have a picture of a very brave person here, don't we? You know, these, these, are, these are the guys that are really brave. We wouldn't be any better. Let's not, get, let's not get too cocky about this. We would have been just as bad as they were. Because our hope was that we were setting up a kingdom and here's the Messiah and all of a sudden he's dead. As far as we were concerned, we were in opposition to Rome and now Rome has killed our, our leader. What happens when you kill the leader of, a, of an opposition group? The people underneath them are going to be killed. Just the way it is. And that's what they're, that's what they're hiding. They're afraid of their life for their lives, trembling, hiding for three days. I can picture that they never left those rooms <laughs> because they're um, absolutely sure the Rome is out there to get them. Sadness, depression. It says that the women prepared the spices for the body. There was a, quite a ritual that went on with a Jewish Jewish burial. They would take the body, they would wrap it up in, in linen and spices and put it in the, in the ground or in the cave. And then after about a year, they'd go back and grab the bones and put them into a, what we would call a casket. Uh, and then they would put that casket away. So the caves were not a permanent burial place anyway. This was going to be a temporary place until the body disintegrated around the bones. And the, and the women prepared for the spices. And Jer Joseph of Arimathea had said had already done that. Do you, you don't understand what this meant. For Joseph to Arimathea to go to the cross, take a dead body down, fix it up for, for burial the day before Passover. What that meant is that he was now unclean. He could not eat and partake of Passover the next day. He was unclean for 24 hours. And he took the body down the day before, the, just before sunset of Passover, so he would not have been clean for Passover. The women were waiting for Passover to end, and then they, were not, then they waited again for the Sabbath to end so that they could then prepare the body. But they didn't know that Joseph of Arimathea had already done that. Sadness. In Luke, we read about the women talking as they're going to the sepulcher. And it, you know, how are we going to move the stone? <laughs> how are they going to move the stone? When they put that stone in front of it, it rolled down a slope to block the, block the stone. It took a lot of effort to move the stone. And the Bible tells us it was a great stone that blocked this tomb. Now, the, again, we have the, the stories that come out. Well, everybody, these women went to the wrong, wrong tomb. They were so stupid, they went to the wrong tomb, and they told the disciples that the body wasn't there, and the disciples ran to the wrong tomb as well. And, you know, so they all just were dumb. Well, that would be a wonderful story except for one big problem. You had the scribes and Pharisees who didn't want a resurrection story being out. If the disciples and the women went to the wrong tomb, what would you do as a scribe and Pharisee? You would go, here's the tomb, here's the body, these people are too dumb to go to the right tomb. 
All right, so the people who tell you they went to the wrong tomb are really have a lot of faith too <laughs> because they believe the, the, that the disciples and the women were stupid and the opponents of, of them were stupid. <laughs> they were too stupid to know what tomb they went to guard. <laughs> then, of course, there's a story that the disciples stole the body away. These very brave guys that we talked about that are hiding in fear for their life overtook Roman guard, moved the rock, and took the body. Okay. Well, number one, they're scared rabbits, so that's going to be hard to bring in. But even if they weren't, a Roman guard with their back to a, to a, to a wall was virtually undefeatable. Now, if you could get them out in the open, you could get around the backside of them, you could do something. But with their back to the wall, they were virtually undefeatable. So the story was that while, while, we, were slept, while we slept, the disciples stole the body. All right? Now, I don't know how many people in this room have been in the military, but even today, if you are asleep on duty, it is a major offense. And if you're at war, you can be executed while you're, while you're on. You don't even need a trial at that point. You can be executed while you're sleeping on duty, though it doesn't, in our army, it doesn't usually happen. They arrest you and try you, but it's still an executable crime. Rome was no different. If they had been sleeping, all 16 of them, they would have been executed. The second question, though, in that testimony goes, while we were, yet, while we were sleeping, the disciples stole the body. Now, I don't know about many of you, but if your home was robbed while you were sleeping, and you don't have a video system <laughs> recording them, how do you know who did the crime? You would not know if you were sleeping. So even their very testimony, even though it wouldn't have happened, they wouldn't have been sleeping, but their very testimony was a lie. Could you imagine going to court to say, you know, while I was sleeping, so-and-so stole my stuff? That defense lawyer would have a field day with it if the judge even allowed the, the claim. But that is what the scribes and Pharisees paid these, these soldiers to say. And you know what? It must have cost them a fortune because they'd had to pay the soldiers to say this. They had to pay the soldiers next level up and probably quite high up before somebody says, okay, well, we're just going to ignore this breach, serious breach of conduct. It cost a fortune for them to get this lie put in. Again, the lies that are out there. How much faith do you have to not believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Now, some people will say, well, Jesus didn't, didn't even live, but that's a whole other question which we'll deal with on another, uh, some other day. But there's, there's plenty of proof that outside the Bible that Jesus lived. That's not even a question on that. So we have this whole thing. The women get there. Wondering how they're going to take care of the body. Wondering how they're going to move the stone. How, how can we convince these Roman guards <laughs> to open up this sealed tomb for, so we can take care of the body? And what do they find? An open tomb. An open tomb. And then two angels appear to them and say, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Didn't you pay attention to him that he wasn't going to be here three days later? Three days and he was resurrected. Not in a spiritual sense, not a metaphorical sense, bodily raised from the dead. In victory over death. 
to be our Savior and still lives to this day. He was ascended into heaven and the disciples watched him. He is still alive. Out of every religious leader, he's the only religious leader that's still alive that you don't go make a pilgrimage to his tomb. If you're a Muslim, you go make a pilgrimage to their great prophet, Muhammad. We know the tombs of all the other religious leaders, and they make big deals of going to their tombs. You can't go to Jesus' tomb and find a dead body. He is not there. He was victorious. The joy, the change in their hearts. He is no longer there. And the women go tell the disciples. And Peter and John go running to the tomb to see if the women are telling the truth. You know, they were probably thinking all these women are hysterical. They just don't know what they're talking about. So they run to go check it out. But you do realize that just the fact that the Bible records that women were the first one to see the risen Savior is a miracle. It's also the proof that it's what happened. In their day, if you were a woman and you witnessed a crime, you couldn't testify in court about what you witnessed. And yet God shows his resurrection to women to be the first witness of the crime. If this was a false story, made-up story, the disciples in no way, shape, or form would have had the women be the first one to go find the, find the tomb. It would have been them. Because otherwise it wouldn't have made sense. It would not have made sense to the people to use women as being the first one to find that empty tomb. They would, if it was a made-up story, it would have been, yeah, we went to the tomb real early and it was opened and, and empty. We look at this. All the proofs that God's word is true. All of it. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, says that there were the women that went there, there were the disciples that went there, and then he goes, besides them, there are 500 other people that have seen the risen Jesus. Why did he make a big deal out of that? Well, if, you, if I was to tell you that I had 500 witnesses to something and you wanted to find out if it was true, do you think you could track down one or two of the 500 witnesses? <laughs> you know, if I said there was two witnesses, that would be one thing to be able to hide two witnesses. But if I told you there were 500 witnesses and you're, and you're somebody who doesn't believe me, what are you going to do? You're going to go try to say, oh, oh, let me see if any of these witnesses actually say what what this person says. Now we in our day obviously can't go track down 500 witnesses from 2,000 years ago. But the fact that Paul was willing to say there's 500 people. Imagine if you went to court with 500 witnesses about the case. Number one, it would take a long case. <laughs> but do you think you might win that case? <laughs> you know, uh, at least if they were on your side. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want 500 witnesses against you. We know for a fact that Jesus died. We know for a fact that he rose again from the dead. It's not much of a faith issue. It's more of a faith issue for us these days because we're so far removed from it. But the facts stand out. The logic of it stands out. It is not something that we're going, well, I think maybe possibly <laughs> that this might be true. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again in victory. He holds out a gift for our salvation. He did this because it was the only way to get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the 
Heavenly Father but by me. And it takes him. The world knows the story of Jesus. They know it. It's been heard. It's been shown to them in the, in the very aspects of heaven and creation show Jesus. Our desire today is, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day you need to know him. Today is the day to say, I, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept that gift that you've given to me, and I repent of my sins. Very simple prayer. Very simple. Today is the day if you don't know him. Those who are listening on the, on the Internet will hear the same thing. Today, when they're listening to it, is the day to accept Christ. Because we don't know if we have another day. Every one of us think that we are going to live for months or years or decades even yet. But you know, if you open up the newspaper, there's, there's an obituary section of a lot of people who thought they were going to live for a lot longer. Some of them natural causes, some of them unnatural causes. We never know. We don't know what the future holds. Don't put off the relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you know him, Today is the day to make a decision to make him your Lord and your master if you haven't already done that. Lord and master, to make him the one that you're going to follow. Because he isn't, didn't go through all of this just to, be, just to be our savior. He wants to be our Lord. He wants to be the one that says, go and do. He, and his commission to his followers is, go and make disciples. Our job is to go and make disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, we become a disciple ourselves to begin with. And what is a disciple? One who follows a way of thinking. Pretty simple. When you, if you, most of the people in this room are old enough, maybe if you knew anything about college, to know that they used to call people that went to school disciples in a discipline. You studied a discipline. We now call them majors. And they have taken away the idea of a disciple in a discipline. But it's still there. It's still what they're doing. You're still going to school to learn a way of thinking in a particular thought pattern. We need to be disciples of Jesus. Learn to think the way he does. Learn to act the way he acted. Will we get there and be just like him? Probably not in our lifetime. But we should be getting closer and closer as we follow him. You should be able to look at your life and say, I am closer to God and his way of thinking today than I was last year, than I was five years ago, than I was ten years ago. If you're not, you need to really see God and ask him why. Why am I not growing in you, God? Do I know you? Would be the first question. If you're not growing in Christ, you need to first ask yourself, do I know you, God? Because Christianity is not a bunch of rules that we follow. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a relationship. Every other religion out there says, follow all these rules and you'll please deity. <laughs> And maybe get into heaven if you do more good than bad. Christianity says there's no matter what you do, you're not getting into heaven on your own. Because our sin is what we're judged on, not by what we do good. God doesn't say, well, you have this whole pile of good, but you have this small pile of bad, so I'm going to let you in. That's not his way of thinking. He looks at the small pile of bad and says, you're not perfect. God's standard is perfection, which is why we need Jesus Christ. Because when we accept Jesus Christ, we are clothed in Christ. And when God looks at us, he sees the per perfection of Jesus Christ. The only way into heaven is by Jesus Christ. He grows us. He teaches us to be his disciples. We do more and more good things as we go along, not because we're trying to please him, 
but because we're being literally changed into a spiritual being that's closer to God. And I start doing the right things just because that's who he's making me to be. Not because I'm saying, okay, God, have I done enough good things yet to please you? No. If that's our motive, we're wrong anyway. We're wrong anyway if that's our motive. So let's go ahead and bow our heads, and we're just going to pray right now. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you or listening on the tape, we ask that they will come to you right now. And Lord, it's so simple. And if you don't know Jesus, now is the day of salvation. If you don't know him, just say this prayer in your own heart. Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept the gift of your life. Come and live inside of me and help me to grow. Amen.